7.05, and if you're a sports fan, now's the time to start paying attention. It's time for Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. Another huge show on tap for you tonight. Got our division previews lined up. NFL football is less than a month away, and we'll chime in just on how we think that everything's going to go, as well as, Ira, I think this is going to be a very interesting guest. His name is Nick Elam uh, from Bowling Green. He's got something called the Elam Ending. And we're going to talk more with him about that. But I'm somebody that, Ira, I hate the end of basketball games. I think it takes the fun out of it for me. And I think Nick Elam's got a strategy to alleviate that. His strategy is fairly simple, which is to have fouls and to eliminate fouls but at the end of the game by saying that under four minutes after the first dead ball, you just add seven points to the winner's total. And then who, if they get the number, the game is over. So this game will always end, not with someone dribbling the ball out, but on a shot. Someone's going to have to make a shot. And if you're used to playing in the playground, there's no clock in the playground. I mean, no, you go out you there and say, the first one to 10, first one to 15, first one to 21, the one who has the shot wins. I mean, that's how it ends. So it's sort of getting back to playground how we play, everybody plays playground basketball because no one's walking around with a shot clock when they go out to the playground to play. You know, it's, and it's off our topics list for tonight, but the big three leagues seems to be doing pretty well, Ira, adopting those strategies. People don't want to see the slow parts of basketball. They want to see action, and I think ESPN is showing the finals of the big three league tonight, so they're doing something that people care about. This was, the Elam ending was just used in the basketball tournament, the one that ESPN had put on for like the last two weeks that had the teams from the old Ohio State alumni, the Texas Tech, the Jimmy Jimmer for that team so he finally uh, Nick Elam finally got it on T on a, on a spot where people saw but if you go and Google the Elam ending you're going to hear uh, Adam Silver talk about it the commissioners of all the conferences of basketball people are intrigued by this I'm not saying it's going to happen but it's something that people are definitely talking about well I like the fact that people are thinking proactively about it because the end of basketball games you know in conference finals it's one thing there's a strategy to it I don't even see Atlanta and Denver take 45 minutes to play their last two minutes, you know, the second week of the season. So this would be something, in my opinion, that would get me more into it as a fan. Um, So much to talk about tonight in addition to that. But Ira, we always start. Where you been? I'm getting ready to watch football, and yeah. I'm getting ready to. I'm going to be at the U.S. Open, so there's a lot going on. So I wasn't anywhere this week, but I'll probably get baseball next week. But definitely coming forward, I got my favorite tennis tournament, the U.S. Open, and then I got we got four mo- five months of football to go to. You know, bringing up football. Um, you know, Sean and I were talking before we went on air. We can't wait. It's football really creeps up on you. We got about three and a half weeks to go. I can't wait to cover our division previews tonight as we run through both Norths both the NFC and the AFC North. And you probably know this, but I was a big Steelers fan. We got plenty to touch on in the AFC North. First and foremost, though, he was dubbed the next great one, Ira. Everybody thought Andrew Luck was going to come into this league and completely take over. We also didn't anticipate Drew Brees having a resurgence in his career at 37. We didn't anticipate Tom Brady being the best in the league at 40. Andrew Luck, he's going to be back tonight. Is he fully back? We're going to have to wait and see. But, but that's my first question for you in football. What do you expect from him tonight going forward, and can he return to top quarterback form? He's dealing with a shoulder problem. Debilitating. I, and for someone who hasn't played football in, over, in 19 months now, and was throwing football like two months ago, and they said, well, it's not really a real football. It's a smaller football. Yeah. Um, and Nerf football, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to be interested to see. He's, people in the camp said he looks sharp. Uh, he, his first three years, he had 4,300 yards, 3,800 yards, 4,700 yards. His year three is 40 touchdowns. But the last year he was healthy, it was, a, it was an interesting year. He threw a lot of interceptions. He's been known to throw interceptions. Whether he's going to come back strong, knowing that his, his shoulder hurts. The Colts aren't that good. He's going to They're be a bad, lot, actually. And he doesn't have a great offensive line. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him. I'm not sold on Andrew Luck. I don't know if two years from now we're going to be talking about Andrew Luck being the quarterback of the Colts. Wow, that's a bold statement. I, I don't know if he's going anywhere. And I think that they're going to, with any prospect in the last decade, give him the benefit of the doubt more than we've ever seen. You're right, though. This shoulder injury, 19 months, guy hasn't really thrown a ball. He was at one point looked at among the top six or seven QBs in the league. And right now, I don't think people are even close to that, especially with the influx of good young quarterbacks we've gotten. Sean LeGreg is here. Their offensive line stinks, Sean. And his last year that he actually played through, granted, T.Y. Hilton's good, but he's throwing a uh, Tony Dorsett, 
I mean, Philip Dorsett. I, I mean, this is his number two. He, he hasn't had much around him. Sean, what are you expecting from Andrew Luck tonight and this season? Well, the, the thing with Luck is it's kind of like when you when you looked at what Peyton did all those years, right? Those those Colts teams weren't particularly great. I mean, I know they had they had a good offense, but he kind of always pulled that defense along. This team without they never had a good defense the, w- without without Peyton and that transition year, they won one game, right? To start his career. 10 and 5, 10 and 5, uh, or 10 and 6 for three straight years, three consecutive Pro Bowl appearances, and then he gets hurt. So Andrew Luck has proven to be a guy that he can elevate the play of the, the people surrounding him. Uh, they did invest in that offensive line, getting the arguably, some people, the, the best all-around player, and Quentin Nelson, the guard out of uh, Notre Dame. So I do think they've made some additions, uh, strengthened that offensive line. When they when they talk about what he's looked like in training camp, I mean, in his first pad of practice uh, on seven on seven drills, nineteen to twenty two, um, all the incompletions came on drops seven to seven. He was eleven uh, for eleven. I mean, so he he's looked absolutely amazing. The rapport has just started clicking right away with T. Y. Hilton, who will be his number one. Um, I I think. That if he's healthy, I mean, he's proven over the course of his entire career. He did it in college. He did it when he came to the pros. He's taken teams, subpar talented teams. I mean, Stanford was never, you know, this this great NFL talent. He didn't team. do. He didn't put up great numbers there either, though. But he did take them to bowl games, and he got them more wins than they were supposed to have, and that's what he did with the Colts. So I think they've taken a little bit of step forward um, with that offensive line, and that's been the problem of keeping this guy upright. But when he's on the field, and if he's healthy, I mean, he is a special talent. So hopefully, he comes back and, and plays to the level that we all want to see him play at. We do all want to see him play at that level. But Ira, you know, it's funny. We talk about, you know, he brought up T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton's another guy, and you're a big fantasy guy just like me. How much can you trust T.Y. Hilton, especially where he's getting drafted? If this is going in the late second, early third round as your number one receiver, I don't buy it. I'd rather have DeAndre Hopkins all day. Not that he's going to be necessarily close to there, but T.Y. Hilton's a talent that's been kind of... Um, Pushed to the side by the lack of quarterback play. Do you think that he's got a receiving core around him? Do you trust T.Y. Hilton, Ira? Not at all, but I'm not going to draft him, so that's great. So I'm in a fancy draft. <laughs> I, I, when T.Y. Hilton's name comes off the board, I'm excited because I think that's someone who's going to end up with an average year, a similar year that he had last year. And I just I think he's way overvalued in this league. Yeah, and what what, what he brings to the table in terms of fantasy, I mean, there's going to be weeks where he does what he does and he has He'll four have 200 catches yards and two touchdowns. 100, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's going to happen. So there's going to be times where he's on your roster, he's going to win you a game but he disappears for stretches of games you know when he's when he's not engaged well you throw um, him against Patrick Peterson throw him against some of the better you know well, shut course. down corners and, and he just doesn't seem to be able to do it but he's also limited in what he can do he's 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 literally just a fly go receiver I mean that that's what he is and and he can be taken out of a game by a good corner that can run with him you know but if he gets on a slower corner there's some matchups he's not a guy that runs short routes over the middle they don't dink and dunk to him he's not a possession type receiver he's the guy that you know we, we Kind of saw it with Wolf Fuller last year. 11 catches, he got like seven touchdowns. Seven touchdowns. So, so that's the boomer bust potential that you get with T.Y. Hilton. And when you're drafting him, you're basing that off of the belief that Andrew Luck can get back to the caliber player that he was. 714, Ira on Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. Um, Ira, we're going to touch in just a moment on the actual rookies uh, coming into to NFL this year. This has been, like you said, one of the most exciting preseasons ever. There's a lot to be broken down and... A lot of roster assignments and assumptions to be made. Let's talk about two guys that aren't rookies, but I'm going to consider them both rookies, and that's Jimmy Grappolo and Deshaun Watson. Watson, Ira, out of the gate was phenomenal. Obviously suffered a season-ending ACL injury. Watson's impressing, though, so far in in training camp. Well, in training camp and in a game. I mean, what's so great about the NFL Network is that wherever you're at, the NFL Network is just we're just going to run streams of all the all the preseason games and the pre. And whereas you, know, I don't really want to watch a football game after I watch the football game because it's sort of like I know the results. Yeah. But in these type of games, you get because they air different times. You want to you don't want to watch you want to watch. I don't mind watching a preseason game again to see, watch a certain player to see how they play. And in certain in these games, you want to see Watson Garoppolo, and they're only in there for two series. So for the series he was in, he was in two series. He threw an interception wasn't his fault off his hands. He looked fantastic. He's back healthy. I think for some of these players like Watson who were hurt last year, he looks like he's Deshaun Watson from last year. So he's healthy. So that answers the question. Is Deshaun Watson going to be limping around or is he going to be looking like Deshaun Watson? And Jimmy Garoppolo just took off from, he had one drive down and scored a touchdown. Looks like he, Jimmy Garoppolo from last year. No no difference. Offseason didn't matter. It's funny you bring up Deshaun Watson. I don't know college. You know, I don't follow nearly as intently as you guys. He was one of those guys, great national championship win, I didn't have high expectations for him. And then three, four weeks into the season, I'm like, well, 
The Texans found their quarterback. This guy is the real thing. Sean, Deshaun Watson coming back. How are you feeling about this? Oh, well, I just want to touch on what you just said, you know, because you brought up the national championship game. I thought he was the best quarterback to come out that year. You know, I was actually shocked that he fell to number 12. And as far as he did, you know, I think Mitchell Trubisky to the Bears, Patrick Mahomes, the, uh, I believe, was the pick before. You went um, 12, yeah. Yeah, went 11. Um, and, 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 and Watson went 12. I think Trubisky and Mahomes will have good careers. I think they're great talents. But I just, I think Watson's a rare talent. I mean, this guy, back-to-back national championships with Clemson. Each game, he threw for over 420 yards. Uh, One game, he threw for four touchdowns. The other one, he had three, ran for another touchdown. So he put up almost 1,000 yards against the number one ranked defense. Nobody does that against Alabama. And he did it twice. He did it two times. Even the year where they lost. I mean, they lost by five points on the last second touchdown. Uh, when they answered uh, Deshaun Watson's touchdown with like less than a minute to go. So, you know, he was a special talent at Clemson, so I was not surprised that he came to Houston and did what he did. I think he does benefit from having a good offensive line there, getting one of the prize free agents the year that Lamar Miller did go there. I mean, I know he was highly coveted. You have um, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who I think is is the second best receiver in this league. Pound for pound, the best. To, to, to <laughs> an, next to Antonio Brown. Uh, and then a guy like Will Fuller could disrupt your field and obviously the explosion uh, that he has so I do think he benefits from that but uh, to see the early indications, he tore an ACL when he was in college, and he came back and he played phenomenal. So not a surprise there as well. Uh, but but I do think that what we saw out of out of Watson last year, it won't be a surprise for him to pick the ball up and, and do what he what he did last year because he is that rare of a talent. Ira, let's talk about. He's my boyfriend this year. He's my man crush, Jimmy <laughs> Garoppolo. San Francisco absolutely stole him in retrospect uh, from what we saw other quarterbacks go for, especially during the draft um, from the Patriots. He went 5-0 and last year to close out the season. He's looking good in training camp already. What are you thinking about Jimmy G? He's, this is the player that no one sort of gets their handle around because he did finish the season in games that didn't matter. So anyone was watching fantasy and picked him up like I did. I'm watching every game <laughs> with the, you know, rapt intensity. But the point is, he looked very good. I, another an offseason with Kyle Shanahan. Remember, he was traded in the middle of the year. He stepped in and won five games. Now he's had an entire offseason. Yep. And this isn't like college yeah. offseason where they could only have certain hours. He can be talking to the coaches all hours of the day, every hour of the night. And so that's where you're going to see this major you you see this in wide receivers a lot. The first year they come in, they're like average and whatever. But that second year after that summer where they get to to work with the coaches and work with the quarterbacks, they come back and they're like, wow. Like yeah. Antonio Brown didn't start in the league catching 100 passes. I mean, no. he no. built his way up to that. No, Ira, you bring up an interesting point. And as we talk about fantasy more throughout the season as we go, that's a, a huge stay away for me. Rookie wide receivers. They don't. Juju Smith-Schuster might have been the best rookie-wide receiver campaign. I've seen it a long time. These guys just don't put it all together the first year. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, Deshaun Watson, Ira, we could start with you. Who is going to have a better season? Oh, I think they're both going to have a great year. I, I, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different. But the one thing about these two, and, and it was exciting to watch that game, is you're starting to see the NBA creep into football a little bit because what's happening is that when we talk about teams they're going to be defined by their quarterback yeah. and 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 it's always been that way but i think it's even more now because people are excited about these quarterbacks you see these five uh rookies that came in and where they're going to go and that if you don't have it's going to be the draw it, it's been the draw but i think now even more because when you think about basketball and the nba teams and how popular the nba is when someone says the oklahoma city thunder <laughs> russell westbrook that's what you just you don't think about mm-hmm. the rest of the players on the team defense is exciting we talk about defense of players, but everybody, I mean, I was at a bar watching and everyone's talking that they, the bar stopped when Watson and Garoppolo were on the, for that series, they were watching those two players play, but I think they're both going to have very good years. It's amazing you bring that up. And if you look at the rosters, this is the best quarterback crew I've ever seen in my entire life. Obviously the league's changed. There's not really a team in the NFC you could say has a bad quarterback. Nobody that you would, granted they're not top five, but the AFC has a few teams that have some holes. The NFC's solid. As far as their quarterbacking needs go, Sean, what are you thinking here? Jimmy Garoppolo, Deshaun Watson, who has the better season? Um, it, it's it's definitely tough, but I think when all things considered, I think you got to look at Jimmy G. Um, he's starting to build a strong rapport um, with his receivers. I think I think he's more talented with uh, 
I, well, I touch on this. Okay, we look at the quarter. Uh, we we look at the coach. Okay, Shanahan. Look what he did with Matt Ryan. He elevates people's games. A- exactly. I think he's more talented with more physical gifts than Matt Ryan. Uh, and and we saw the difference that that Shanahan had on Ryan's career. Took him and made him an MVP. Um, I think Marquise Goodwin right now is the number one because he spent the seven games that he played with Garoppolo last year um, and and has really turned into that number one target. What I'm excited to see uh, is. What is the relationship that he starts to build with Pierre Garçon? Pierre Garçon was hurt last year. Pierre Garçon's been a number one receiver in this league uh, with the Colts, uh, with the Skins. Uh, Possession, with the, but with, yeah. But still, but a trusted, dependable, solid, you know, can take it downfield, can run those uh, intermediate routes, ball possession receiver. So to add that to the mix, now to add the dynamic uh, Jarek McKinnon uh, that they brought in from free agency from the Minnesota Vikings and put a speedster in the backfield behind him, who I think is a better uh, complement to that offense more of a Devontae Freeman than a pounder like in between the tackle runner like Carlos Hyde that they have last year. Uh, they invested in the offensive line again uh, with uh, uh, in, in the first round with the 49ers. They still have Joe Staley, a stalwart left tackle, one of the best in the biz. They built around that defense. I think, even when you look at the divisions, because in my opinion, it's not just stat-wise, right? It's what can this guy do and bring to the team and how far can they go? you got to play the Rams defense twice. I understand that, but they, also get, saying, but they also get to play the Cardinals, and they also get to build, play Cardinals uh, always play and, and they always get to play uh, a rebuilding Seattle team where if you look at the AFC South, I think, in my opinion, you have a, a, a good Tennessee Titan team who went to the playoffs last year. I think the Colts with Andrew That was the worst 9-7 and seven playoff team I've ever seen, but go ahead. But still, made a playoffs. You have the Colts, who I think will obviously be definitely better with Andrew Luck on the field. We already talked about, made three straight 10-6 and six teams with horrible rosters around him. And then you have the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I just think that Jimmy G, what he was able to do last year in that seven-game span win seven games to end the season, only add more talent around him with, in, in my opinion, one of the best young coaches in offensive minds. I think that Jimmy G ends up with a better year uh, than Deshaun Watson. It's funny you bring up receiving core because I totally get that. Pierre Garçon, he's, a, he's an okay receiver. He's getting old, 32. He did go to John I. Leonard, so we do have some West Palm Beach roots to him. I don't know if Marquise Goodwin and Pierre Garçon are going to, you know, Work out for me like Will Fuller and Hopkins. I, I mean, it's t- totally we'll different Brady, levels. Though. Totally I mean, different levels of receiver. No, I'm not saying that he can't do it. I'm just saying I think that the, you know, odds are stacked in Deshaun Watson's favor. We're going to see what happens though as football kicks off in about three weeks. It's uh, 7:23. Ira on Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. Um, before we get into the actual rookies, there's you know I'm considering these guys rookies. They've never had a full season under their belt. Pat Mahomes, Ira. This is a guy. Alex Smith was let go for him. They were a playoff team with Alex Smith. They let him walk. Pat Mahomes is going to take over here. The Chiefs traded up for him. You think Pat Mahomes is the real deal here? Well, it's you get back to these Big 12 quarterbacks, and they put up these huge numbers because they don't play defense in the Big 12. <laughs> yeah. And the question is, what numbers matter and what quarterback matters? And where's the Bryce Petty at Baylor, who I thought was great, going to be fantastic for the Jets and doesn't start? <laughs> yeah, and whereas starts. Pat Mahomes... Looks like from Texas Tech, looks like he's amazed, this amazing quarterback. He certainly has the arm strength, the 100-yard pass he threw. It seemed to be in the air in the last week's preseason game. 69 in the air. 69 in the air, which was and, – and they believe in him. They yeah. got rid of Alex Smith, who is – who Washington says, this is, this is great. We think Alex Smith is better than Kirk Cousins, yeah. who is getting paid $30 million a year. So everybody's happy with their quarterback. I mean, that's a good thing. I like teams that are happy with their quarterback. They yeah. seem to be pleased. So they want Pat Mahomes. That he's going to be the starter. And he has a dynamic receiving uh, crew in Watkins very, and Tyreek Very good, yes, yeah, skill at, players. At skill players. And Kelsey. And they can run a little bit. Now, I don't know, know if Andy Reid would run this type of their offense, but with no, looking at their skill players, they have almost a college wide receiving crew. Yeah. Smaller wide receivers, very fast, pass the ball, let them run in space, and just go up and down the field and score 55 points and 60 points. So it'll be interesting to see if they can do that. But uh, I, look, he looks good on paper. It looks good on the, in the preseason games, but we'll see when the games start. Sean, what about you, Pat? Mahomes, do you see something in this kid? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think he's the real deal. I think he'll have a good year. I mean, what he offers, tremendous upside, huge arm, but it does come with risks, right? You know, reports coming out of uh, a camp or how many interceptions this guy's throwing, uh, you know, and that could be problematic, you know, for a team that went from Alex Smith, a guy who's not willing Never to... Never throws picks. Well, yeah. yeah, wasn't willing to go throw down the field. I mean, even Alex Smith was, you know, an MVP candidate for most of the year last year. I mean, a lot of that success, I know they, they talked about Hunt and, and what he brought to that to that team, but by like week six, Hunt didn't really do much. A lot of his damage was done in like... Tyreek Hill was doing more work than it, receiving. Exactly. And, and now you have where you 
you have a guy like like Tyreek Hill who can stretch a defense and a quarterback who can finally get on the ball. You know, a lot of the plays where you saw Tyreek Hill take advantage, it was sm- short passes and then Tyreek has to take over. Now we can just run in a straight line, beat everybody, and Mahomes, like we just saw in the preseason, can throw a 69-yard bomb in the air and hit the guy when he has, you know, uh, five, five, he's five feet away from the, the last defender. So I, I think... What Andy Reid does, he runs a version of the West Coast offense. We talk about the two guys on the outside, Hill and Watkins. We talk about uh, Travis Kelsey. And Kareem Hunt's ability to catch out of the backfield is what's going to make this kid special. So with that, with his talent and then the talent around him, there's going to be some bumps in the road. He's going to trust his arm a little bit too much, kind of like a Brett Favre or a Cutler because he has that cannon. But if he can corral it and he trusts and plays within that offense, I think he can be special. The point to be made, too, is uh, you know, going Going back to Andy Reid, does this guy not get the most out of every quarterback yeah. that plays for him? So, so I, I'll give him some credit there. Am I drafting Pat Mahomes as my number one quarterback? Absolutely no. not. But I wouldn't be surprised if he puts up decent numbers going forward. I still like Jimmy G and Deshaun a lot more than that. Um, quickly, as we uh, get through the NFL here, Adrian Peterson. If the Redskins didn't like a big-name, washed-up player, I don't know what team does. Adrian Peterson's going to the Redskins. Ira, any chance of this being a hit? No, I mean I yeah. think this was a, is a big name. Uh, they have Chris Thompson as the running back who they're going to probably use more. They're again for fantasy purposes. Once Geis went down, they're going to have four people in the backfield and everyone's going to carry the ball and it doesn't really matter. So it's just one other person that's going to take away. So you'd, instead of having a running back that has twenty carries a game, everyone's going to have ten carries and five. Um, he's averaged three point one carries the last uh, two years. I mean nothing to take away from Adrian Peterson who at one point was the greatest running back I've ever seen. He oh, had, sure about a whole thing. He had yeah. 1,300, 1,800, 1,400, 1,300. Uh, two, he had, the year he had 2,097 yards. Then he had 1,266 yards. He had 75. He, he tore his ACL, came back and had 1,500 yards. Yeah. And, and But then he had he was suspended a year. And ever since his suspension uh, for the uh, child endangerment, he's never been the same player. Yeah. So that's – but it's, it's, I think, a non-story. It, it totally is a non-story at this point. Adrian Peterson, I think – you know, me and Sean as NFC East fans, Giants and uh, Cowboys ret- uh, respectively, we don't mind this signing at yeah, all. No. Uh, 727 Ira on Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel. About 740, we're going to be joined by Nick Elam to tell us about the Elam ending, and I'm all about this. Let's get into our division breakdowns, guys. NFL season starts in just about three and a half week, weeks. We can get through this fairly quickly. Ira, we'll start with the NFC North. We'll do both Norths this week. Bears, what are you thinking? Um, Bears, Lions, Packers, Vikings. I'm not. I'm not sold on the Bears. I. I, I think that uh, Tablitsky is still a work in progress. I, I'm not happy with in terms of. I. They. First of all, when we look at teams, you can always find something you like on a team. They say, oh, they're improving, but they still got to win games. They're yeah. playing other teams. They're not just in a vacuum. Yeah. So the point is, when we look at these teams, like, oh, Tabisky, he's a really nice player. He's improving. The, the Bears will be better than under, under John Fox. But they're still going to have to play all these teams. They still have to play other teams that are good. <laughs> so so unless your teams And are their ba- division's very good, too. <laughs> so we go to college football and start talking about teams. Yeah, you can have a lot of good college football teams because they get to play a lot of bad teams and get to win easy wins. In pros, there are not that many easy he wins so like if the, the the bears might win five games this year so that's to me that they're a bad team um looking at the bears sean this team just seems so devoid of talent i, I hate the entire offensive line Tritsky may be good I don't see it happening on this team. What's your take on the Bears this season? Well, I just think it comes down to what type of energy does Matt uh, uh, Nagy bring, you know, coming off like John Fox, who just to me is always like a mundane coach. Uh, you know, I know he's had good stints with the Panthers and, and Denver, but I feel like As a Giants just, fan, you love John Fox, I, I, but it's, it's time to realize I, he's not good. Yeah, I just don't think that he's the right coach for that team, you know. So to so to kind of play off the success, I mean, they always talk it's a copycat league. Go out, get a young, energetic guy like a Sean McVay, and we've seen the success in the turn around that happened in Jared Goff's career. So um, I think they've helped Trubisky. Anthony Miller, the wide receiver out of Memphis, he's shown out uh, pretty much all, all, all year. Um, they went out, got Trey Burton, the backup, uh, well, the number two tight end. He was used heavily in Philadelphia. Um, I think also, too, Allen Robinson. We look the, the, coming off a small of, signing. Could, that's a big thing. But but exactly. I mean, he was a true number one receiver with, with Jacksonville and playing with Blake Bortles, who I don't think is a good quarterback at all. So to come off the ACL, there is some risk there, but they've added talent around. I think Tariq Cohen is a special talent. Uh, J- Jordan Howard, I mean, he shows up every year. He's a great running back. So to, to have that dynamic with those two guys, I think the offense being built around Trubisky, I think he could take a big step forward, but where we need to see wins on the field. I don't think they'll 
they'll be as bad as they were last year. I think they'll take a step in the right direction, and that's what they have to do. They have to build momentum. How long can Aaron Rodgers keep this up? Uh, you know, is it can, can Kirk Cousins bring that success from Washington over to to Minnesota? You know, Detroit's a eight and eighteen pretty much every year. So I think this is more towards the future, but they're heading in the right direction. Let's talk about the Lions, Ira, and this is a team. That seems to always be in turmoil. They've been kind of the most consistent I've seen them in my entire life. I still don't know if that makes them good Ira Lions in the North. Well, they made a, a, a coaching change and brought Matt Patricia from the Patriots over, thinking that so, – I mean, everybody wants to hire the Patriots assistant coaches, yeah. thinking, when's this going to work? <laughs> like, we keep – you know, is someone going to rub up? Is Belichick – does that – does he give anything to any of these guys? Apparently not. No. So, I mean, it's another <laughs> one in terms of what they're – and they have Stafford, who's this – another – this excellent quarterback. They're not replacing him. They love Stafford. They think he's good. They were 9-7 and seven last year. I was at Ford Field, saw the game. First of all, that is an amazing stadium. The it town, looks great on TV. It's beautiful. It's great. I love going there for a game. I enjoyed it. It was my first time I was there. Um, the fan support is tremendous. They have a great history. But not a lot of playmakers. Un- at the running back position, they have on Johnson. They don't know what. Abdul- Amir Abdullah. They have a lot of names. They they draft some players. I just am not excited. Again, with the Bears, just a team that doesn't excite me in terms of what players they have. That's kind of what I was getting. Like, the team doesn't seem to change. And they, what they have isn't working. So what's the plan here in Detroit except Matt Patricia, Sean, Lions, give them any shot? You know, I, I I think they are what they are. They're an eight and eight, nine and seven team. They have a very good quarterback uh, in, in Matthew Stafford, uh, but the offensive line last year very banged up. I don't think they really did much in in the offseason to address that. They did bring in Johnson, uh, the rookie running back out of Auburn. I, I'm excited about him because he can do a lot of things. Amir Abdullah, I think that project's over. Yeah. Um, but but it always comes down to defense. I mean, the offense shows up. I, I mean, they do have Marvin Jones, uh, Golden Tate. Uh, they're very excited about Kenny Kenny Fantasy Halloway. Wise, they score points. Yes. Exactly, you know, but but it, it, the offense has never been the problem. It's the defense. That's where they lose games. Where Matthew Stafford has to throw for forty five hundred to five thousand yards and thirty plus touchdowns for this team just to be eight and eight and nine and seven. So until the defense really gets adjust uh, uh, changes and they bring more talent in on that end, they're going to be what they are. They're going to be an eight and eight team. Uh, they'll get their fan base excited for a few months and then just you know let down again. Ira, speaking of a team that for me has always just needed defense, and they they can score all the points they want, but they can't stop anybody, especially come playoff time, is the Green Bay Packers. I feel like Aaron Rodgers has been robbed uh, of so. a lot of good years of his career. The Packers, though, this year, they're going to be a little bit of a new look. Jordy Nelson's gone. Ira, what are you thinking for the Packers here? I don't think Aaron Rodgers has been robbed. I think Aaron Rodgers, too. Aaron Rodgers is, and I think he's overrated. And I, oh. that, and I, I know people don't. I, I, every, I'm so, the excuses just keep mounting. I mean, Tom Brady's had a lot poor. His receiving crew is core has been awful and he's been able I think to take, take those players and he's won five Super Bowls uh, Aaron Rodgers won one unfortunately against the Steelers when Ben we gave that Super Bowl up but the point is I don't Look, Aaron Rodgers is going to have 12 wins, 11 wins if he stays healthy. But he, the collarbone injury last year, he's had about two two seasons in the last five where he's been hurt in the middle of the year and not been able to come back. And he seems real mad at the wide receivers. He They traded Jordy Nelson. They switched his offensive coordinator, he his seems quarterback coach. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be – it's like, I'm Aaron Rodgers. I'm better than everyone else. And that's great that we know who you are. But is he going to – Look, I'm not looking for much for the Packers this year. You're right. I don't think the defense is that great. I think the offense, they still don't know what they're doing at running back. Again, another running back by Ty committee. Ty Montgomery. Throw a, running, throw a receiver in there. They have, <laughs> I mean, as someone who who lost fantasy because they had Williams instead of Joe. I mean, they have so many running backs. They don't have, and I think at wide receivers, I'm not a Devontae Adams fan. No, so he I don't, stinks. So I think, I think they're, I mean, there I think Rodgers makes Adams who he is. They bring out Jimmy Graham, a tight end. They think that's going to be a big move. Not too excited about that either. Again, a team that's going to be nice. I don't expect to run in the playoffs I don't expect Aaron Rodgers to be who everyone thinks Aaron Rodgers is going to be and I also think that when he is 11 and 5 makes the playoff lose the first round it's going to be oh poor Aaron Rodgers he doesn't have enough talent around him it's interesting you bring up the Jimmy Graham thing because everyone thinks that's so sexy Jimmy Graham on the, on the Packers. He hasn't done anything in five years. So I don't know why anyone thinks Jimmy Graham is this huge difference maker now as he's kicking the door on And the 30. tight end isn't prioritized in the in, in that he, system at all. In that system at all. I mean, Finley was the last was the last tight end to do anything. And I think it was like 2012. I mean, we're talking like seven years ago. And when even they had that wasn't open. very impressive. Yeah, Mar- Martellus Bennett. Oh, they got Marty B. 
he did nothing when he was there. I mean, he even retired. So it's like, uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm not excited about that move. I don't agree with Devontae Adams. I mean, I think Adams is a dynamic player. He's, he's, he's played extremely well, and he's been put in situations where he's had to show up. Now, granted, it does help that you're catching passes from Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers can make really anybody look good, but Randall Cobb has not been the same since he got paid. No, Jordy not. Nelson's been hurt uh, for, you know, pretty much for the past two seasons. He hasn't been the same player, and Devontae Adams has filled that number one receiver spot, and he's filled it pretty well. This team comes down to their defense. Um, they they lost their starting middle linebacker Ryan, uh, I believe, to an ACL injury. Uh, they they did spend two picks on the on uh, cornerbacks. They had the one kid last year, King uh, from Washington. Um, so I, I think they could be a little bit better. I don't agree with Aaron Rodgers overrated, but I will say that you do bring up a good point, Ira. That you know you've seen Brady do these things. You've seen uh, 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 Peyton Manning elevate his team. Well, I think that year in year out, even like Eli. I mean, the, the, I don't think the Packers GM has ever done anything to make this team significantly better, and they've constantly been a team that wins 10, 11, 12 games. That is Aaron Rodgers. We saw how bad they were with a highly touted prospect in Brett Hundley. I mean, he sat behind Aaron Rodgers for all these years, had a team that was, you know, winning games with Aaron Rodgers, and they were completely awful. So, So it goes to show what that guy means to that team, and if he could stay healthy all year, he will be battling the Minnesota Vikings for the top of that division. Well, speaking about the Minnesota Vikings, they're the last team on our list for the NFC North. I, this is a weird 13-3 and three to me last year, guys. I mean, their their losses come to some good teams. They lost to the Steelers, which happens. They lost to, um, what was it, the Panthers. So it's not like they didn't lose to bums. Um, I still don't know if I'm buying it. Case Keenum, is he a flash in the pan? Is he going to work in Denver? Now you've got um, Kirk Cousins, who, like you said, Ira, they obviously think is better Vikings, it's their division to lose. What do you think happens? It's not their division. It's their conference to lose, and 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 I think they're the, in my book, they're the favorite to go to the Super Bowl. The defense is great. They have they have great. the great defense. They have wide receivers and Diggs and Thielen, who, so underrated. Who catch the ball, can run after the ball, who can find space. Now they have a quarterback. They clearly made the move with Keenum, who took them to the NFC Championship game. They made this move to get Kirk Cousins, paid him a $100 million guarantee because they saw in him a quarterback that can get digs and throw in the ball. They also have a, another wide receiver, Treadwell, who they Lake drafted Juan, in the first round, Tennessee. from uh, who they think is going to be who's superstar, and everyone who watched him in the Alabama game and how he played great in college, they think he's going to be this third wide receiver, the superstar. Remember, Dalvin Cook was this... Out of Florida State was their star running back. He tore his ACL in the fourth game last year. Yeah. Uh, he comes back. And he and looked he's, amazing. And he looked amazing. He comes back and he's dynamic with this offense, with this defense, and they're hungry. Look, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. The Eagles had the the, the the parade. They had the Philadelphia. They walk around. Everyone says how great they are. They added the extra pounds. They went on the next <laughs> cruises. The Vikings are like, what? We lost. We can't believe we, we lost to the Eagles. We had that game won. We were up in the game. I mean, we, they got blown out. But they were leading the game. They went down and scored the touchdown. I was at that game. I think the Vikings are saying we they're hungry. Yeah. They want to come back. They would they want to play the Eagles right now. Yeah. They want to play. This is a hungry team. It's a good team. It's a team that's going to go to the Super Bowl. Do you think the Saints want to play them one more time? In the uh, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> My mistake too. Yeah. Treadwell is uh uh, Old Miss. Miss. Old Miss, yeah. Talking about the other bum from UT who knew, uh, never made it. <laughs> Cordero Patterson. Patterson. Yep. Never made it happen there uh, in purple. Um, Sean, Vikings, their conference to lose, like Ira said? Yeah, oh uh, no, for sure. I mean, if you look at it, bring Cook back. I mean, he just brings a different element and a physicality to that offense that McKinnon couldn't do and Latavius Murray kind of did, but it's only in short spurts. I mean, Cook can catch it. He can run. He, he, he is a phenomenal talent. The one guy that's kind of flying under the radar on the offense is Kyle Rudolph. I mean, he's a so guy. Consistent. He, yeah. Yeah, when you look at like his touchdown to catch ratio, it's amazing. And Kirk Cousins, especially playing in Washington, he looks to his tight end a lot. And and Kyle Rudolph has the ability to to be an inline blocker, but also go out and catch passes. But this team goes as far as that defense. I mean, obviously the upgrade we're talking about quarterback. I mean, Case Keenum really compared to Kirk Cousins. Guys had four straight four thousand yard, uh, twenty five plus uh, touchdowns. But look at what the Vikings did last year. Led the league in fewest points, averaged fifteen point eight a game. Lowest yards allowed, 275. I mean, really those good. those are unreal numbers. In an NFL now, 
where everything is aired out, move it. Guys are throwing. I mean, four thousand yards used to be an anomaly. You guys, I mean, how many guys Ten are doing that, that? That's what I mean. You have half the league, half the starting quarterbacks in the league doing that. So for the Miami, the Minnesota Vikings to do this, and with you know great talent like Everson Griffin, you know, it just just absolutely amazing, uh, underrated talent, and Daniel Hunter, uh, Linville Joseph. I mean, that offensive line. We talk, we hear so much about well, the Rams D line, the Eagles D line. I would say Minnesota Vikings is 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 the same, if not better. They've always been that way. It seems like through my lifetime, you know, where they have the uh, the Harris brothers up the middle that you just couldn't run on. They always have a Williams good secondary. Brothers, the, the Williams, Williams brothers. brothers, yeah, yeah. Always have good secondary. This is a team that that scares me, especially come playoff time. I don't know if Case Keenum was the one that blew no. that. You're talking about yeah, you know Kirk hard. Cousins being a replacement. He's playing on a team with no running backs and no defense. He's got to throw all game. So things are a little different as you go. Um, I don't know if I'm expecting Kirk Cousins to take a huge step forward, and I don't even know if the Vikings are going to win that division, but maybe that's a story for another day. It's 740 Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean are here as well, and we do have our special guest. It's Nick Elam. Um, let's bring Nick in now. Nick, are you here? I'd love to talk to you. Hey, it's great to be on the show. It's great to have you. You've been trying to solve a problem that's been bothering me for years. You want to talk, talk to us a little bit about the Elam ending? Absolutely. So I'm a huge basketball fan like you are. And uh, so the idea of the Elam ending is not to change basketball, really it's to do the opposite, to preserve a more natural style of play through the end of every game and to give us more real basketball when the uh, game is on the line. So often we see the quality of play deteriorate late in games where the leading team plays very passively and stalls the trailing team when they're on defense, they have to foul and hand away free points. And when they're on offense, they have to rush and force up ugly shots. That whole combination of factors makes the outcome of games too predictable. It makes late comebacks very hard to complete. And so really what we get is many big games and good games that just kind of fade out with a whimper. And so the idea was uh, that you would just get rid of the clock at the end of the game and that would address a lot of those issues. So that in a nutshell is the Elam ending, that you play most of the game with a game clock and play the last part of the game without a game clock. So you came up with the number, uh, Nick, thanks. This is Ira. Uh, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on this uh, program. But um, with four minutes to go in the game, it's, you add seven. Is it seven points that you, the, the idea that you add seven points if there's a, an, in a college game and under three minutes and in the NBA, uh, four minutes in the NBA game, three minutes in a college game of the first dead ball? Is that the, the, what they do? Right. So, yeah, the the settings of it would vary based on the league or the event. And uh, so the in, in the college game, I would see that it would be at the four-minute mark of the second half, and you would add seven to the leading team score to determine the target score. The NBA at the three-minute mark of the fourth quarter, and that you would add seven points uh, to the leading team score to determine that target score. That would keep it roughly an equivalent amount of game time uh, you know, whatever whatever amount of game time that you're taking out, you want to replace it with uh, roughly equivalent amount. And what in terms of, I think you've done so much analysis watching these games. I mean, uh, certainly at the end of these games, the intentional fouls, is it not intentional? Is it a foul? And you watch teams shoot free throws and it drags it on. And it, you're, what you're trying to do is solve a problem that everyone, no one likes. Oh, that ending of the game was great. I saw 20 fouls and the game spread out 15 minutes. Every free throw uh, battle. Yeah, yeah, when they're shooting free throws. <laughs> So, but you, in your analysis, I mean, you saw the NCAA basketball team, I think last year, you said 44 out of the seven teams had to foul, but only three times did the teams come back to win. Is the purpose of this rule to say, okay, this is the chance for a team who's losing in a game to come back and win a game by scoring a basket? Well, so, right, what you, what you said there is that, uh, you know, you think about just the way that the game changes so much at the end of the game, it becomes very warped. And frankly, I think it's kind of an inferior brand of basketball. And so by the end of it, win or lose, it's hard to tell exactly what we're proving by uh, that whole uh, episode at the end of the game. So the idea really is to – it's not really to give an advantage to one team or the other, but it is to uh, preserve a more natural style of play so that we're seeing more of what looks like basketball at the end of the game. And um, so – you know, I think it's not really to give an advantage to the trailing team. I think, you know, having a lead going into the final stretch should count for something, but I don't think you should be adding artificial disadvantages or arti- yeah, artificial disadvantages on top of that where now uh, not only is the trailing team behind, but now they have to 
the foul and hand away free points. Now when they're on offense, they have to rush and force up ugly shots. Um, I think the deficit itself should be the disadvantage. So for years, you've been pushing this idea, and you finally this past couple of years got the basketball tournament to that was aired on ESPN, which was uh, great, actually very good basketball. A lot of these players are borderline NBA basketball players to watch them play, and alums from different colleges. They use the ending, so I watched the games for a whole week on that. When What what feedback did you get from watching the games from yourself and from other people, how it, how it looked, what did, what did people think about when they actually could see it on TV and in practice? Oh, I was uh, I was really encouraged by uh, by the way it looked. Uh, you know, again, just on a very fundamental level, I'm looking for the idea to be sound and for it to be cool. And I thought it was both both of those things here in its original version. And just to see leading teams playing assertively late in games, to see trailing teams feeling like they're still in the game as long as they can continue to get legitimate stops, doesn't sound like much, but it's something we really just don't get to see very often under the current format, unless a lot of different circumstances align just right. So it worked uh, really well. I was very encouraged by the way that it looked. And actually, you know, I, I hold this sta- this uh, format to a very high standard. And so I look at it with a very critical eye. And I'm always looking for things that can be improved. Uh, it's already very close to what I had envisioned. But I think just by fine-tuning something, a few things here or there can make it even better. So I was uh, also very encouraged by how much positive feedback there was. Uh, again, I really at this stage, I'm not even expecting people to love it. I, I think I just want people to keep an open mind about it. And I was uh, really surprised by how many people uh, did like the idea right off the bat. Well, I love having, having you on my show because, again, we're not expecting this to be in the NBA next year for the NBA Finals. But people in baseball, if you said five years ago, we're going to have a pitch clock in baseball. They're like, that's crazy. Even replay. Like, or, or re- yeah, replay in baseball. Or they're going to have someone's, a, a computer's going to call the lines in tennis. and Or, or in, 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 in... Soccer's s- bringing it, yeah. Soccer has it. Hockey has... There's advi- there's changes to the game. So right now, it's not going to happen next year, but it, this could be something that between next five, ten years, something that, that could change. What, in your talking to the NBA, the NCAA, what feedback have you got from people uh, from those organizations and terms of the Elam ending and, and, and what, how they're studying it. So it's, it's interesting going along with what you say. You know, I think so often when we uh, have these debates about sports, I think we just worry way too much about what sports were like 100 years ago and not nearly enough about what sports Oh, no more like peach baskets? Like 100 years from now. <laughs> I just can't, I, I just refuse to believe that 100 years from now, basketball fans are still going to be throwing their hands up in the air about these foul fests at the end of games. There's just, there's just yeah. no way in my mind that that's going to be, still be happening. But uh, you mentioned talking about, uh, you know, I do hope and envision that this will eventually come into play at the t- highest levels of play, the NBA, the WNBA, NCAA Division One, and the Olympics. And I have had uh, interactions with those who are uh, stakeholders at that level. Now, I don't know if those discussions were necessarily supposed to leave the room, but, uh, again, I've been encouraged <laughs> by how people are keeping o- an open mind about it. And I think they see that, uh, you know, I'm not trying to – bash the game of basketball i love basketball and i think it's a way to make a great sport even greater so i don't think that uh, like you said i don't think it's going to go instantly to the highest level but i think as long as it continues to be implemented uh, in different testing grounds whether that's tbt or other semi-pro leagues amateur leagues uh, international leagues men's women's whatever it might be uh continuing to get a chance to prove itself then I think the concept does have a chance to reach those highest levels eventually. Well, one of the biggest criticisms of the Elam ending is there's no buzzer beater. There's no famous March and Madness shot at the end. But really, at the end of every one of a game with the Elam ending, there has to be a made shot. Yeah. It's not someone dribbling the ball out, running around trying not to get fouled, or throwing the ball in the air so he's not fouled, or doing something so just not, you know, missing foul shots on purpose, or those things. You actually have to make a shot. And anybody who plays basketball on, the, on any playground or back yard or wherever you make a shot to win a game no one has a shot it almost turns every shot into a buzzer beater or a penalty shot or a penalty kick where you're you're sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for that last point and that last bucket to score so it, it is very exciting so i guess under my question nick is are you finding from the players they like this do they like the fact that they have to make a shot to win the game so one of the uh, one of the things that I was really looking for again, because yeah, that, and that was something you know when I first thought of this back in 2007, thinking, oh man, like there's no way uh, you can, you can't do away with buzzer beaters, and so uh, you know that was one of the things I researched, and I've been uh, surprised to find that the games only about one percent of the time actually end with a meaningful made basket. So yeah. I had a misconception that buzzer beaters happen 
much more often than they do. But one of the things I was looking for and going around, and I actually attended 30 of the 71 TBT games, is I want to get a feel for what do these shots look like and, and sound like and feel like at the end of these games. And I can tell you, when it gets to a really close game, uh, and even some games that are decided by four points or more, uh, if, if there's really just that crescendo of excitement, then it really does. It feels just like a buzzer beater. So it, I've always said that this is a way that we can keep and enhance the things that we enjoy about the late about late game play and eliminate or alleviate the things that we don't enjoy. As far as feedback from players, it's been mostly positive. Um, and one of those shots was made by uh, primetime players. His name is Terrell Smith. Uh, there was a seesaw battle. It essentially came down to a sudden death situation. He made a shot, a corner three, and then they all, out of sheer excitement, ran a, on clearly to the other side of the court, just sprinted to the other side of the court, fell to the ground. His team teammates came to pick him up and, and embrace him. I mean, it just had that feel of a buzzer beater. So I think a lot of the players like it. Not not every single one likes it, and I think that actually adds a little bit of juice to it that uh, you know not everyone is quite sold on the idea yet. But, uh, again, I think, I think it just takes time uh, for this kind of an idea to be embraced. I'm sure guys like Shaq would have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you, I think it said, uh, Nick, aren't you, uh, my, one of my last thanks again for coming on, my last question would be, do you like the fact that this allows the star players that are the centers and, and who can't shoot free throws well to actually stay in the game at the end of the game? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, again, one of the, like, the quick criticisms and then you realize uh, that that's not valid is that this somehow does away with strategy. I think this actually keeps strategy in I the agree. game. I mean, right now there's really very little strategy into the games. Yeah. Yeah, there's only, there's a very prescribed of what you have to do. Uh, but with the Elam ending, really you still have your full complement of plays and players. It keeps, makes, allows big men to play a big role. It's not, it doesn't become just such a uh, guard-dominated game down the stretch uh I, I do think that it uh adds it adds to the game it doesn't take away nick i want to thank you so much for popping by here ira on sports 95.9 true oldies channel hey, listen i'm with you and i'm a baseball purist and i hate tweaks to the rules but now looking back you know three four five years later everything they did was correct and hearing someone say oh i can't watch soccer because the game takes seven hours no it's a clock that doesn't stop. The end of a basketball game can take seven hours because of the way it's strategized. So, uh, you know, Nick, I totally want to thank you for what you're doing with the Elam ending, and hopefully we can get something like this implemented soon. Well, hey, I appreciate your kind words. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. 7.52, Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. Let's switch gears to baseball, guys. Interesting season, as we might see two teams win 115 games. And they happen to play in the same division. Never good. Speaking about the other division that's a little bit rough is going to be the AL West. The Astros, we talked about it on the show a while ago. They've been struggling with injuries. Correa, Altuve, both out. Lance McCullers is on the DL. George Springer is on the DL. The Athletics, hottest team in baseball. Ira, they tied them up. You think the Astros have anything to worry about? Or is this like a little bit of a glitch in the matrix? I think yeah, I mean, I'm the, I think Astros are going to win the World Series again. But... They're going to have to play. And I don't know if it's a bad thing. I don't know if it's You're a right. bad thing that they're now, unlike the Red Sox that really are up by so many, they're not, the Red Sox are in, that they're going to have to play. They're going to have to pitch. They're going to have to keep their players. Every game's going to matter. And the intensity, as we, we talked about earlier on the show, later, I mean, a couple weeks ago, is that baseball is a game of routine. And the routine is you get, and if you lose that sharpness just a little bit, then you're not good anymore. And I think the Astros, they're going to win all their games. They're going to be amazing. But I think they need this. I think the athletics are pushing them. I think the team that should be afraid of that athletics is the Yankees because if the athletics somehow get a wild card I don't the Yankees think oh we got this wild card game we're we're gonna play the Red Sox the Indians we got the Astros they might that might play one game and be done yeah. we're gonna talk about that in just a second because as a Yankee fan I'm petrified uh-huh. um it, there's a lot of good things happening like you said I, I like that you know the Astros have never been that team that's just up 20 games just gonna walk away with it I like seeing the competition it made them a better team last year Sean Astros have anything to worry about you know, I, yes and no. I, I think that how well uh, Oakland's playing. I, we've seen Seattle kind of take a little bit of a step back. Uh, uh, Marco Gonzalez, uh, their, their, their nice young pitcher, um, has really struggled in his last few starts. Um, I, I pulled up something I, I thought was interesting. Raking the contender schedules from hardest to easiest. Uh, Mariners coming at number three. Uh, A's number five and the Astros at seven. So uh, it, it looks as if the strength of schedule from here on out, uh, and this was just pulled yesterday, that the the Astros actually have the easiest schedule moving forward. I do like 
their lineup. I trust their pitching staff more than I trust the other ones. But Oakland's always that team that they just, I don't know. They just win. They just win. They find ways to win. They're a scrappy team. And every time they're good, it's kind of like that same formula. Uh, they did bring in uh, another addition that we didn't get to talk about last time was Sean Kelly, uh, the reliever from from the Nationals. Um, so I thought that was a big pe- uh, pickup to solidify that that bullpen. But, um, you know, I think Ira brings up a good point. I think, you know, out of all this, the team that's got to be the most scared uh, is the Yankees because whether they're the, out, uh, uh, the athletics make it as a division winner, I'm sure they don't want to play Houston. And as of right now, if it was today, I wouldn't want to play uh, either of those teams. So I I think that both are in good position. But um, I I think at the end of the day, Houston has enough talent, especially on the staff, to overcome uh, uh, the rest of this uh, regular season schedule. Unfortunately, there's only one way to not play one of those teams. That's win the division. And it doesn't seem like the Yankees have the equipment to do that versus Boston. Speaking of the uh, play-in game, which the Yankees are almost destined to be in, Guys, like this is a weird season for the Yankees. Severino, Luis Severino, their quote ace, looked like a Cy Young, not only candidate, he looked like he was going <coughs> to walk away with it if it wasn't for you know the sales and Klubers of the world who he was almost beating two months ago. Yeah. His last eight starts have been putrid. I believe he's got one win. Ira, they just picked up J.A. Happ. He's got four wins in a row for them. They picked up Lance Lynn, another quality guy who can put you up a sub four ERA. If the wild card playing was tonight, Ira, who are you starting if you're Aaron Boone and the Yankees? I think they have to start Severino tonight. But it is not tonight. It's going to be seven weeks, six weeks from now. And then if Hap still has this great record, then Hap looks like he's going to be the starter. Because if Severino keeps pitching how he's pitching, there's no way they're going to start him. Um, we, I never expected – I thought – I think Severino has been overrated. I think he was as good as he was. But he's now he's now worse than I thought he would ever be. So it's – it's I mean, and the Yankees overcome. A lot of times Severino gives up four or five runs in two innings. And then, of course, the Yankees come back. They hit home runs. But they can't just rely on that because – because some of these teams, when they're playing a bad team, sure, they can give up five runs in the first two innings and come back and win. But when they're going against Verlander, when they're going against Sale, when they're going against Price, guess what? They're not going to get all the, They're going to be down. They're going to be down 7 nothing, and it's going to be hard for them to come back. It's not that I necessarily... I mean, I do think Severino got a really good run in New York where the media is behind you, the fans are behind you. You think that you can't be touched until you've never really been in this situation before where now you're going on inning number 160 and you're exhausted. And I've seen guys like the Chris Sales who've done this year in and year out. And of course you'd rather have someone in that position. Um, Sean, what about you? You're a big Yankee fan like me. Who you start tonight if it's the wild card I game? think it has to be Severino. I know I know. Hap's come in. Uh, he's played unbelievable, 4-0. But we got to look at you know what... What that 4-0 is, it's Kansas City, it's Texas, it's Tampa Bay, and Toronto. Not exactly the 27 Yankees lineup. If we look at who he has coming up, okay, his next start's going to be against Baltimore. Not a real big test there. His start after that looks like it's going to be Detroit. We're not going to know what this guy means to this team until early September when he's going to be slated to pitch against uh, the Oakland Athletics in, in, in early September, right after Labor Day. After that, it looks like his next start, he'll have another, uh, you know, against maybe Minnesota. But then Boston comes to town. Um or we go to Boston uh, in the middle of uh, of that. I want to see what he does against the Athletics. I want to see what he gets, what he does against Boston. Right now, he's beating teams that have pretty much given up on the season. Uh, and and, and he, yes, he's pitched well. I mean, so you still have to go out there and perform, but. When that pressure's on, mid-September, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about who we're going to play in the wild card. Does he show up against the Oakland Athletics uh, of, of the league? Does he show up against Boston? You know, that's when we're going to really test and see what he's made of. Uh, so as of right now, I still think it's Severino. It's one of those things, too, with teams like that. I look at... Jay Happ, he's got a very small sample set against the teams he's played. Yes. So when you've got a bigger scouting book, it makes it a little easier to plan around this guy. You don't think that you know any of these wildcard teams is going to know exactly what they're getting at what pitch against Jay Happ. Uh, yeah, it's got to be Severino at this point, but let's hope uh, things turn around there. Seven fifty eight, Ira on sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike and Sean here as well. We're going over. What else do you know, um, Ira? Before we leave baseball, big prospect coming up tonight. I know you wanted to talk about Michael Kopech. Uh, he was a, the key key part of the Chris Sale deal. Shocker, Boston has a wealth of talent in their uh, (laughs) minor league system. Sent him to Chicago for Sale. He's going to start tonight. He's got a little bit of troubles in his past, but I think this guy's got what it takes to be a pro. Well, he has a pitch. He's a YouTube... 
superstar because he his girlfriend is uh, a girl that is like the number one Instagram follower, like that isn't a famous celebrity. So he has a millions and millions. I'm of too Instagram. old for that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he threw the ball 110 miles an hour. And I've never seen someone throw the ball 110 miles an hour before, but they have it. So that's pretty cool to watch. If you want to Google 110 miles an hour Kopech, that's pretty exciting to see. Um, Boston got rid of him mainly because he punched another player and broke his hand, and he got suspended 50 games for PED use. But he was their number one pick. He throws hard. Everyone thinks he's going to be great, and the White Sox are bringing him up. And all power to the White Sox. This is what's great. Don't leave him in the minor leagues. Bring him up right now. Let's see what you have. Don't worry. But too many teams are joking around in terms of how many how many starts they have and how this thing is like jockeying for arbitration. Arbitration. Let Let's see if this guy is the real deal. And I'd like to see him. He throws. It's not that he threw it 110 miles an hour. He can. Pitch over most of his pitches, he's a starter who throws between 100 and 105 miles an hour. That's amazing. One of my drawbacks on him is two things. One, he walks a lot of guys, which a lot of these big, tall, hard throwers do. He's averaging like almost a half a walk an inning, and that's in the minor leagues. That's going to get a little worse here. Another thing that bothers me, Ira, is Boston doesn't get rid of guys that are going to be good. <laughs> They're excellent at scouting. Will Middlebrooks, I thought, would be the future for them at third base. Let him go for nothing. Yon Mankata, they let go, and it really didn't get that much of a return. Now, this is another guy they let out of their system, which is stacked. Don't get me wrong, but they seem to have such an eye for talent. I think Kopech, I have hopes for him to be a number one, number two, but it's going to be tough going forward to see what happens to him. 801, Ira on Sports. Let's talk about uh, NCAA for just a minute. Urban Meyer, we've been talking about this a lot on this show, Ira. A big decision comes on Wednesday. What do you think the verdict is here? Um, it was supposed to be this weekend, and they pushed it to Wednesday. I still think it's going to be a suspension, a two-game suspension. He's been not been the coach for three weeks, yeah. so there hasn't been no contact. But I... I felt like, as we said last week, I think if they were going to fire, if they if they were planning to fire him, I think this would have been done quicker. I think it would have done in a week. They would have said, I think it's a thing where they'll come back and say, now the athletic director has been on vacation now for another, for three weeks also. Good so timing. It seemed like, but it seems like the entire, everybody knew about the situation. Yeah. So if they're going to fire Urban Meyer, they have to fire everybody. Yeah. Every, all the assistants, the whole athletic department, up up into the associate president, if the president knew, every, you can't just, so the point is everybody knew, I think they're just going to suspend Meyer and go from there. Ira, you'd said it a while ago. Yeah, you think it's going to be top down if it does happen. What do you think, Sean? Well, I just think that maybe the suspension actually grows now. I don't know if they fire him, but more stuff is coming out since then. I think that's what pushed it. You know, the pictures in the White House, the affair with one of the staffers. I mean, so so it just more and more keeps coming out, and that's why it's keep getting pushed. So I think it could have been maybe a two-game suspension. Could go up to four games. I, I don't think he gets fired. I think he should be. But I think maybe after the season, they kind of force him to step down or do a buyout. But I, I, I just don't know how they can kind of sweep all this under the rug. I, I just It just seems to be growing and growing and growing, and I don't think even after a suspension, I think more and more will continue to come out, and then at some point they're going to have to you know reevaluate whether they made the right decision only giving him a suspension. Um, let's talk before we move on from college football. Nick Saban getting uh, a little bit of criticism. What else is new? Sean, <laughs> this, this is a quote from an unnamed coach, yeah. which you always love those because it could be literally anybody. What's this quote about Saban? Well, I believe it was a Yahoo reporter, you know, had a an unnamed coach and he and they asked you know is, is Saban overrated or is he you know the best coach and he and he this is what he said if you had the number one recruiting class in the country every year he shows up at every single game with a better roster than the teams he's playing if you could count cheating and getting the best players in the country as part of running a program he's the best in the country it's like saying an NFL coach is the best coach in a league if he gets 25 first round picks every year Ira what do you think here obviously Nick Saban's a polarizing character do you think he's the best coach in football? Are you giving any credit to this unnamed um, this unnamed person saying that he's got too much talent? What do you think? He's the best coach in the history of college football, and because the end of discussion, end of discussion. I mean, he and you watch. Go watch anyone who has time. Go on. It's on airs on ESPN all the time now. The ESPN show about the Alabama, yeah. and you see what he does and the meticulous nature and how they analyze. Everything and the statistics. These other teams and these other teams want to be Alabama, and Alabama doesn't have. They're not sitting in like Florida should be Alabama. Yeah, really. yeah. Should. yeah. Exactly. yeah. I mean, and, and it's so Alabama. And he Tuscaloosa. had to, and he had to secede Bear Bryant, who was viewed as the greatest coach of, of all, all time. time. Yeah. And now he's in many some people's minds and most people's minds surpassed Bear Bryant himself, yeah. which was a challenge. Uh, 
the best coach. I, and, and the whole idea about cheating, look at their facilities. Their facilities are amazing. They're yeah. better than NFL facilities. Yeah, yeah. So that's not – And, and he player, built that. He built that. And, and you look at how their players go to the draft. Every year, yeah. their entire team gets drafted to the NFL. They're successful in the NFL. Who wouldn't want to go to this program? Yeah. That's If you want to play in the NFL, go to Alabama. This is what – if Alabama wants you, you go. How, who does Alabama lose out to? Because whoever they want should choose Alabama over someone else. That's great points. Yeah. And, and, and I'll bring it because you, you talked about players, you know, uh, uh, going, you know, to the pros. Bo Scarbo came to the Cowboys, right? And I'm, I'm religiously, I'm following training camp. They said he's a seventh round pick, but the way he carries about, goes about his business in practice, how he is meticulous in every single rep. That's what Alabama players do once they get to league because they've been bred that way. What goes into college coaching? Number one thing is recruiting, convincing the best players to come to your school that it's the right place, convincing the parents that, hey, I have your son's best interests at heart. Okay, he does that year in, year out. He does it to a point where players that are the number one player at their respective positions wait two years, three years, two sometimes. years before You're a blue they become chip starters. And you wait three years. You yep. wait to be a starter because you know what? You're going to win a national championship. It's almost guaranteed that one out of every four years you're going to win a national championship. There, you have the best. And I players. think it's more number about getting drafted recruits. when you're going there. I don't know if these guys care so much about the championships, which is great. They know going to play for Nick Saban, and as Ira said, the best faci- they're yeah, better facilities yeah. than than Miami Dolphins. And do. there is that; it, but, it's ridiculous. But but you also want to be in that conversation. I mean, if you're playing a game, you are you are playing to win. You know, I know the end goal is to get to the NFL, and that's what these guys care about. But they also want to be the best. They want to be on the best roster. We're seeing it in the pros. That's why Golden State is stacked. I mean, you have guys taking you know contracts where they they're saying no to forty million to play on a one year five million just to you know just to be part of uh, of the Golden State Warriors. So that's kind of the mentality that is created says hey listen you're not going to play one year you're not going to play two years you're the best player in the country at your position but guess what you're the fifth best player at that position on this team you, you, you trust the process I'll get you into the pros and nobody does it better than Nick Saban he's done it everywhere he's gone Michigan State LSU won a title there and obviously he's done what he's done at Alabama it's not a question I think it's terrible that this coach kind of comes out and throws shade his way when you know he's he's so great for the game how did Saban do with the Dolphins He's he's not a he's not a he's not a. He's not <laughs> you a said every coach. stop. You said every stop. Uh, college. You no, know, it's one of those things. So, and I give these guys credit. And maybe you guys are different than me. I'm selfish. And if I think I'm the best quarterback at a program, I'm not going to sit behind somebody. I'll Jacoby Brissett send me to NC State. You know, I want to be focused. This is what Alabama is, though. These guys don't mind sitting yeah. on the bench for three years as top prospects. Just to sit in one year and probably win a national championship with Nick Saban. 807, it's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. Got to wrap this up quick, guys. Golf, uh, Brant Snedeker, my boy, uh, Montgomery Bell Academy from Nashville, uh, close friend of mine, kind of. Big win this weekend, Ira, ninth of his career. And he shot a 59 on Thursday. That was crazy. Um, there's only been eight 59s in PJ Tour history. 59, so there was a 58 and then um, seven 59s. Uh, it's a tournament not – and most of the stars were not in at all. Um, but it was a great win for him. And I think with Northern Trust coming in at Paramus, the old Barclays tournament in Paramus, I was reading a lot of statistics. And it's one of those tournaments that people, like the analysis, love for Tiger because he's not, he doesn't, he's not an accurate driver. But he doesn't need to use his driver. He can hit a three would the whole time and there's like a spot where you hit to and it's a pretty big spot that's where everybody's hit to so he doesn't have to be the longest 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 driver and it's really values iron play which he's been great at and putting and so this could be a tournament that he's playing everybody's playing but Rory it's the first of the four series of the tournaments there's gonna be four more tournaments left of the year so this is gonna be exciting this weekend coming up what do you think he's got a shot uh, has a great shot I mean and, and Hunter Mahan won it the last time and another someone who was sort of just great with the, the players have won this tournament have been great iron players and Tiger's the best. Ira, we always talk about your apparel here because usually you wear something so time sensitive, doesn't matter what's going on. Ira's got an outfit for it. You're wearing a Duke hat today. I know you're a big Duke fan and you're thinking that between RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson, this may be the best Duke team you've seen in a long time. I, I, they played Canada in one of these one four these these tournaments where they go up to can to you can play at a foreign country uh, once every four years. And it was on ESPN Plus. I had to watch it on a tablet, and it was grainy. It wasn't really good quality. Zion Williamson. I saw LeBron James play high school basketball. I saw yeah. LeBron James play McDonald's All Star game. I watched that like a few months ago. I watched him play and saw how he dominated. 
Zion Williams is 6'6", 280 pounds. He is the biggest, fastest player. I don't. He's the best high school player I've ever seen since LeBron James. He's unstoppable. And R.J. Barrett is just phenomenal also. I mean, the fact that Zion Williamson is so big and he can and dunk. You look at him, he looks, oh, he could be a little heavier. But he's in phenomenal physical condition. He uh, has 1.7 million Instagram followers, and, which is, I don't know what means what. But, but yeah, I, I have no that, idea. But that's what hurt. That's what I think hurt. I think I knew that he had these great dunks. He could take off from the foul line dunk. But when you see him play, you see him hit three-pointers. When you see how he passes, you can see where he's double-teamed. He passes out, gets the ball back, spin moves, everything. This, this I mean, I'll say, well, his quality competition wasn't good. I don't care who they're playing. Zion Williamson is going to be the uh, first pick in the draft. And as far as what I saw for three games, he's the best player I've seen since LeBron. Sean, you are a UF fan, but Duke holds a soft spot in your heart. This is the best Duke team you've seen in a while. I mean, you know, and we're talking we're talking about Zion right now, and as impressive as he was, even when you look at what RJ Barrett did, I mean, he averaged thir- almost thirty one, eight and five. You in know, 40 that, minutes. That's that's <laughs> insane. You know what I mean? That's that is insane and the in the chemistry that those two guys have is unbelievable and 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 the one thing I'll, I'll point out because there's another there's another five-star recruit that didn't play and that's Trey Jones, the point guard. And Ira will attest to this. What has been lacking from a, you know the Duke teams in the past few years is good point guard play. They thought Duval would be the guy. He never really showed up. Trey Jones uh, once they integrate him into that into that uh, uh, dynamic and how he plays with R.J. Barrett and how they play with with Zion, I mean, this is going to be one of the most exciting offensive Duke teams well, Zion, in a long time. Zion can run the point. Barrett can run the point. Cam Reddish, who's the another, who's the other, who's another five star, another, who's supposed to be the top three player. It's ridiculous. In the, in the, some people thought better than Zion and yeah. better than Barrett. He didn't play this whole tournament. He's going to be on that team. They all get along. They all pass. They're going to be. They won't have the problem. They don't have this Grayson Allen who's going to hog the ball. Oh, who's yeah. a senior that's been there ball for four stoppers, years. Yeah. There's going to be none of this. If they lose a game, I'm going to be now. They play Kentucky. <laughs> the first game of the year, they play Kentucky. And there's and other teams with good players but I know basketball college basketball is a wow but this could be we've talked about Duke having these great the Wendell Carters the Bagley's these are big guys that need the ball these are this is special this is the new player the 6768 player who can shoot the three who can drive to the basket who can run the point who can do everything and Duke has three of them on their team I will (laughs) go out on a limb and say right now the top three picks could be those three guys it, it literally that that's how good they are. Have we ever seen two guys from the same team in the top five? I mean, I feel like maybe Kansas maybe had it once, or but that's I mean, top I, I three, think Kentucky's three guys. done it. Yeah, maybe I, yeah. Kentucky. I want to say like the John Wall and and Demarcus Cousin year. Yeah, think, okay, I think that was there. But but honestly, with, with these three guys, I mean, and and you and they we haven't even seen Trey Jones, the five star point guard. We haven't even seen him integrated to this, and it's already Lob City College Edition. It's going to be fantastic. They haven't seen me yet either, and I was a prospect at one. <laughs> points uh, coming out of Oakdale Bohemia Junior High School. Um, Bobby Ira, Hurley 2.0. Tennis, before we wrap it up, your boy the Joker takes down your real boy, Roger Federer at the Cincinnati Tourney. Well, I mean, this just this just leads into the U.S. Open because now all three of the superstars have won a Grand Slam. They're all going to come to the U.S. Open. Federer had won the tournament five times. I mean, he had won the tournament um, uh, seven times. Joker had lost it five times. Now Joker <laughs> has won all the Series 1000 tournaments. This is a big tournament. Federer had won 99 straight service games in Cincinnati when he finally was broke. And the weird thing about this, Djokovic now has a winning record of 24-22 and 22 against Federer and also 27-25 on Nadal. Um, Pretty good. And it's going to be real exciting. And also something in the tournament that was cool was it started the 25-second clock. So they now they have a clock that if you don't start serving, and they're actually enforcing it. It used to be that the umpires would, would call it, and no one had a clock. Now the clock is on the court, and they're actually calling faults. They're calling games if you have uh, after a repeated violations. So it's uh, interesting. The U.S. Open is going to be great. Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Who are you excited. taking? Who are you taking if you had a pick right now? Uh, Nadal. All right, we're going to check in on that next week. We are out of time. I want to thank Nick Elam uh, from Bowling Green, the head of the Elam ending, for stopping by. On behalf of Sean and Ira, I'm Mike. Let's catch up next Monday night. Ira on Sports.